Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A win for the Teamsters at the Labor Board. Transit workers in Boston reach agreement on a four-year contract. And how about this? Another rail company gives in on paid sick leave. Today on the show, the latest from the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. And it's our first Friday with Fred. Welcome to the Friday, August 4th edition of America's Workforce, where we're available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Mr. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, will be our first guest. Website, real simple, columbusconstruction.org. You can follow him on, on Twitter at Build. Central OH, which is quite appropriate for Central Ohio because it is exploding there. You got the Intel plant. We'll get an update on that. Facebook, Google, Amazon, all building. Also, he's going to talk about the uh, North Market Tower project and the worker protections. This is a public-private investment. And because of all the building, obviously you need workers. And Dorsey has been reporting their apprenticeship programs across all the trades, doing very, very well, but they could always use more. So they're doing some outreach at the Ohio State Fair. And uh, there's also another issue. Uh, This is a national maintenance agreement. He's going to explain what that's all about at the Serba Recycling Plant in Central Ohio. And one more thing. Issue one, you've been hearing me talk about this. The uh, last day to vote on that is next Tuesday. That's Election Day. Early voting started almost a month ago. And this is uh, this is something the Ohio legislature said they weren't going to do, but they did it anyway. And uh, it would basically do away with one person, one vote in the state of Ohio. And if you want to get some more information on this, there's so many groups that are doing outreach, over 250 organizations. But there's one in particular, a website I'll drive you to, and we'll talk more about this with Dorsey, uh, unionstrongohio.com, unionstrongohio.com. So he'll be our first guest. Fred Redman will be joining us on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as secretary-treasurer, this being the first Friday of August. It's our first Friday with Fred. One of the uh, things we're going to talk about is the fact that we have a labor secretary that is still not confirmed. Marty Walsh, who did a great job as labor secretary, left in March. Julie Sue was his deputy, and the Biden administration would like her to replace Marty Walsh. Well, get this. The House Republicans have introduced a bill that would prevent Julie from serving indefinitely as acting Secretary of Labor. The Department of Labor Succession Act would apply the same time limits for government officials set out in the Federal Vacancy Reforms Act, FVRA, they say, to the Deputy Secretary position. Now, Julie has been heading the DOL since March 11th. 
But because she assumed that role under the statute that created the deputy secretary position, which states that the deputy secretary shall perform the duties of the secretary until a replacement is appointed. President Biden has argued that the Federal Vacancies Reform Act does not apply and that Sue can lead the agency indefinitely. GOP has a different attitude on that. Now, she also faces legal challenges, potential legal challenges, from business groups who argue that her role as acting head of the agency is unconstitutional. It's amazing what's going on, but they are really, really targeting her. The other uh, topic we're going to talk about is the first healthcare workers council conference. Now this was staged by the steelworkers in Pittsburgh where they're located and you probably know this by now Fred has spent them all 50 years with the United Steelworkers going back to the 70s. This was a week long event last month titled Power to the People Who Care. They had a number of workshops which focused on health and safety including workplace violence. Attendees were also able to take part in interactive sessions about safe patient handling and how to be effective stewards. If you get an opportunity, go to the uh, Steelworkers website, usw.org, and they have a really good video posted there about uh, what happened at that Healthcare Workers Council conference. Steelworkers represent about 50,000 brothers and sisters in healthcare. So uh, that's primarily what we're going to talk about with uh, Fred as our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. The NLRB has issued a ruling. This was a three-to-one ruling. Returning the board to a framework for work rules similar to to what was in place prior to the Trump administration. No surprise here. The board considered the issue in Stericycle Inc. and Teamsters Local 628. It was a case involving a medical waste disposal firm's policies banning conduct that could harm the company's reputation. The board determined that employers can only maintain workplace policies which, quote, advance a legitimate and substantial business interest and do not interfere with workers' rights to act collectively. Now, this is pretty important because this ruling overturns one in 2017. Boeing involved a Boeing decision which introduced a balancing test between a rule's impact on workers' rights to organize and the employer's business interests. Now, under the new framework, an employer's policies will be deemed unlawful if employees interpret them as reasonably restricting their rights regardless of the employer's intent. The dissent, and there was just one vote on that, argued that it would be virtually impossible for employers to prove that a work rule advanced a legitimate and substantial interest that could not be achieved through a narrower policy. So obviously, nice win there for the Teamsters, specifically local 628. 
Let's go to Boston now, where public transit workers are in for a smoother ride as the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority and the Amalgamated Transit Union, this would be Local 589, the union representing about half of the workforce, reached a labor agreement this week. The proposed four-year contract includes an 18% wage increase over the life of the contract, which, by the way, is the greatest increase in wages since the 1990s. The agreement also expands employee benefits such as parental and bereavement leave and dental and vision coverage for part-time workers. Governor Maura Healy announced the tentative agreement at a press conference this week calling the deal an investment in the world-class transit we need for our economy, our quality of life, and our environment. The president of the local, this would be Local 589, Jim Evers, called the agreement a game changer. And the MBTA hopes this agreement will help to address some of the recruitment and retention issues it has experienced over the last couple of years. Also, BNSF Railway, which is based in Fort Worth, Texas, will finally give sick days and work schedule improvements to their workers. We're talking 7,500 union workers. After coming to a contract agreement with the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen. Now, BNSF, which, by the way, is the country's largest railroad by miles of track, will give eight days of paid sick leave to union engineers and end a long-standing feud over working conditions and tie up a conflict that nearly halted the country's rail system last fall. The deal also allows train engineers to earn an extra day off quarterly and work-rest options. The company and the union put out a joint statement, and this is what they said. The agreement will allow for more predictable scheduling and enable engineers to take paid sick leave without any penalty. These enhancements will not only contribute to a more consistent service for BNSF customers, but also aid in the recruitment and retention of employees. Despite having paid time off, railroad workers have been fighting for dedicated time off after they said that cutbacks across the industry have made it very difficult to miss work without discipline. The new deal lets employees take days off without any penalty. Now, BNSF Railway, formerly known as Burlington Northern Santa Fe, has now come to paid sick leave agreements with 11 of its 12 unions. That's pretty substantial. By the way, they are owned by Berkshire Hathaway, based in Omaha, Nebraska. That's a holding company, which is run by one of the richest people in the world, Mr. Warren Buffett. Altogether, the company has about 32,000 employees. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. 
Find out what it takes to be built by Liuna at liuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW dot O-R-G. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without ironworkers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained ironworkers and 20,000 apprentices, the Ironworkers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, Central Ohio right now, specifically Columbus, joining us on our live line, as he does each and every month, first Friday of the month. That goes to Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org. And as I indicated at the top of the show, well, Central Ohio is booming. Lots of construction. Dorsey has been doing a very good job making sure that he had labor protections project labor agreements going on because these are big companies we're talking intel amazon google but sometimes some things slip through the cracks all right dorsey hager welcome back to the show talk to me about this uh, north market tower project here this is a 400 million dollar project i'm gonna let you pick it up from there go ahead brother yeah it's like you started it off with i mean <clears throat> sometimes a puck slips by and gets into the net this is a good issue uh, and, a, and a good learning lesson uh, for everybody, especially some of our elected leaders here in the county and, and the city of Columbus. But um, the North Market Tower, we have a North Market in Columbus, and there was a development proposal about six years ago uh, to build a tower with some mixed-use, uh, you know, uh, residential, uh, commercial, and then have the North Market revitalized right beside it, kind of like a crown jewel of the of the lower short north area, the area that goes between campus and downtown. When this project was first batted around about six years ago, and I had a grim, initial conversations about it, it was about 110, 120 million. Now with you know material costs going up, uh, inflation, everything else that's happened. Um, the total construction price is probably going to be around 230, maybe 250 million. And with infrastructure and everything around it, you're probably looking at over $400 million. So there were some issues with financing. There was a gap in the budget and stuff, obviously. And um, the city and the county stepped in. And between the two of them, they voted uh, to provide $66 million in taxpayer funding to help this project stay on on task, 35 from the county and 31 from the city. So it sounds like a good thing, right? 
yeah. gonna create some jobs and stuff like they say. But the problem is, is there's no worker protections tied to any of it. So if you look at other cities around the country, you know, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Miami, St. Louis, even some cities here in Ohio, like Toledo, Akron, Cleveland, heck, even Cincinnati, uh, you know, which historically has not been the most pro-labor city in the state of Ohio. They have worker protections designed for these public-private investments that either, A, trigger community benefit agreements to make sure that, you know, representatives of the underserved community, minorities, women, blacks, veterans are working on these projects, or prevailing wages are being paid on these. So that way that everybody, whether they're union or non-union, are making a guaranteed uh, good uh, area standard of living, a good income uh, that's building this project. So that way everybody's sharing in the wealth, not just the people that are going to own businesses in there, not just the developers, general contractors and subcontractors, but the workers as well. And as much as we try to educate a lot of our friends at council, a lot of our friends at the county, even some of their staffers and people that work on these deals behind the scenes, there's just a humongous fundamental disconnect. And right now with preliminary uh, you know, investigations that I've been doing, conversations that I've had with the general contractors and stuff, it looks like only about 24% of the contracts awarded are going to go to union bidders. So obviously for the building trades, that's a huge issue and that's a problem. We want everybody on that job to be, you know, associated with a union so that they're working under a collective bargaining agreement, again, making those good wages and those good benefits. But here's the other problem that lack of wage protection does. There's a very large contract, um, electrical contract, and we had a lot of elect- local electrical bidders bid this project. And this is just one example, but there's a very large electrical contract that was warded to an open shop contractor that's an out So we know that they're going to be bringing out-of-state workers. Those workers are going to be earning wages here in Columbus. They're going to be taking that money back to they live in. They're not going to be spending it here. They're not going to be reinvesting back in this community. They're not going to be paying tax dollars here. And this is just a huge, you know, this is a fastball down the middle that nobody took a swing at. They just watched it go right by. So I know that <clears throat> this was brought to my attention by IBW 683 member Rob Dorns, um, NAAC president uh, Nana Watson, who's out there fighting, you know, every day um, for the rights, you know, not only of workers, but also for specifically people of color and underserved community. But, um, you know, this was brought to our attention. We started investigating it, started meeting. You know, I had been meeting with the general contractor for the last six years. I had been meeting with the CEO of the North Market a couple times for the last six years. And I think a lot of this drew a blank stare because he didn't understand labor protections and stuff. Um, We stepped up and had meetings with the developers and the finance people. We met with the mayor's chief of staff, Ken Paul. Um, you know, we met with some council people, but uh, Councilman Dorns, you know, obviously voted against this. He was joined by two fellow council members, Lourdes Barosa de Padilla and Shayla Favor, because, uh, you know, they weren't in favor of this. And, and this passed four to three uh, by one vote. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And it's like I say to every company or every person that comes here uh, to do work, whether it's public or whether it's private. And I was kind of doing some research because we were talking about, 
community benefit agreements, and we were talking about project labor agreements and national maintenance agreements, which these are all PLAs. But if you look at some of these agreements and jobs that are currently going on or that have recently just concluded, you know, we have the Cerber Recycling Plant, we have Project Cardinal with Zintel, we have Honda, um, we have a recycling plant in Heath, we have the new Hollywood Casino Hotel, Linden Rec Center, Fire Station 35, the Honda Paint Booth Expansion Plant that we did and completed a couple years ago. All this work totaling about $28 billion done under a project labor agreement guarantees that everybody that works on the project makes fair wages, benefits, and is able to provide for their family and, you know, make enough money to where they can retire with good health care and, and, and pension and annuity and dignity and respect. And um, that's something that we've got to work with council and we've got to work with the county to make sure that something like this never, ever happens again and that we take care and put guardrails in place so that it doesn't happen. Dorsey, how many jobs are we talking about for this uh, North Market Tower project? <clears throat> I would say probably 500 to 700 jobs, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't sound like a lot. Uh But the point that I'm trying to make to some of our folks is, you know, we have our award-winning Building Futures program. It's funded by Franklin County. It's, uh, you know, our fiscal agents creating Central Ohio Futures, which does some other workforce development programs in the city and the county as well. And then it's supported by our NAACP. So if you look at the North Market Tower, let's let's make the math easy. Let's say there's 1,000 jobs and 25% are signatory contractors. That's 750 jobs or 750 positions that we can't place kids from futures. And, you know, mm-hmm. I had a meeting with a contractor last week that's looking at a $2 billion project. And he said, well, why can't a non-signatory contractor partner with Building Futures? And I said, because the number one reason for poverty in this country and the number one reason folks file for bankruptcy is lack of health care. Lack of health care. So we're not going to go out and we're not going to recruit people in the community that are already underrepresented, that are already struggling, already having financial barriers that are keeping them out of that direct path to the middle class, give them all this training and then place them in a job or a career where they don't have the basic human dignity of health care. We're not yeah. going to do it. So I think that's where we have to educate a lot of folks. And I thought we were doing a really good job the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years. We've had workshops, like I said, for local electeds and staffers and talked to them about the importance of this. But, you know, Am I saddened that an out-of-state contractor is going to be bringing out-of-town workers to work in the heart of our city? 100%. But I'm more saddened, and I was just there last night, I'm more saddened that our students and our kids that were out there recruiting for this great programming, many of them are not going to have any opportunity to work on a project like this. And at this juncture, nothing can be done to rectify this. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Am I correct in assuming that? Exactly. Exactly. Nothing can be done to rectify this. And, and, and my real concern is, and this is kind of coming back to me after this has all happened, is that there's some folks, you know, uh, that are like, well, geez, you know, um, we just we just feel like the head of the building trades was really laying in the weeds to pounce on us on this. And, and this is a good thing. This is a good project. This is going to, you know, a lot of jobs. They should be thanking me for not pouncing on them on this. You know, yeah. we we we. we any type of effort that I could have done, I think I really could have, you know, uh, really made it very difficult for, for them, uh, you know, and, and unaware for them on this project. And, and, you know, going back again to a conversation that I had a couple weeks ago with a developer who's looking at building another project, and, and he took it the right way, and I said it the right way, and I, I wasn't saying it, you know, in a bad way, but I said, listen, I said, 
and this goes into the misconception of what's going around right now in the city and the county. That's a separate conversation. But, you know, because people see Intel and Honda, they think, oh, well, we can just build this project and we can hire an out-of-state contract and we can bring out-of-town workers in here because the local building trades doesn't have enough workers as it is, which is a totally yeah. untrue fallacy. We're manning our projects. We're expanding our apprenticeship programs. We're training more people than ever before. We're doubling and tripling and quadrupling some of our apprenticeship facilities. We're adding to our staff. We're you know, doing everything that we need to do to meet these manpower demands. And it's like I said, there are local folks around this community, specifically Nana Watson from the NAACP, that when she goes on a project, she doesn't want to see Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas license plates. So mm-hmm. if we do have an Intel project, if we do have a Honda LG battery plant, and we need local workers on that project that are not members of the building trades, guess what? We're going to go to these open shop job sites. We're going to go to these non-union job sites. We're going to find these people that are working for non-union contractors, not working under signatory collective bargaining agreements. We're going to let them know the opportunities and benefits to work on these other projects. For there you go. And we're just going to take them go. from there, and we're going to put them right there, and that's what you do. Yeah, you have to. You have to. And, you know, Columbus, Ohio is in the national spotlight. I, I have to reflect on a conversation we had Sean McGarvey on the show about uh, two weeks ago, and we were talking about his visit there some uh, some months back and uh, how he's talking about what's going on in central Ohio because of the partnerships that you have made to make sure that workers are protected on these jobs. So, yeah, you know, every once in a while something falls through the cracks, but – but, you know, you're, I know you. <laughs> You've been on this show. You are a fighter. And as many of those people that come from out of town, non-union shops, just bring them over to the right side. You know, say, hey, you know what? There's there's a better life out there, the union way, the better way. You're going to get better wages and you're going to get those benefits. And, yeah, you're going to get the health care that you need and deserve. Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line today. He's executive secretary treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. We'll continue the conversation with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Fred Redman. Number two man, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Why? Because it's our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. 
We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go back to Central Ohio. Rejoin Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Dorsey, a couple more things I want to talk about. Uh, the outreach that you're doing, obviously there's a lot of work going on there. You need more workers and you're doing some outreach, but uh, I need some explaining here. You touched on this uh, Serba recycling plant and there's a national maintenance agreement. I, I need uh, I need some clarity on that. What What is the national maintenance agreement all about? Can you explain that? Yeah, so we have our general presidents that set in Washington, D.C., and each general president of each uh, labor union, building trades union, or their representatives sit on a what's called a national maintenance board. And um, they just work with a lot of these Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, uh, specifically energy companies, too, like the AEP and those. And they'll negotiate these contracts uh, to guarantee that, uh, you know, we're going to provide the labor and the skilled labor that they need. That, you know, reflects the community, obviously, local people, people of color, women and vets. And then uh, they guarantee that the work uh, is going to go signatory. And it's a win-win for both sides because, you know, the customer, like I said, is making sure that their project's getting done on time, under budget. And, and we're making sure that we're getting the people to them that they need. And there's more and more projects that are popping up in Columbus and Central Ohio that we're starting to use these national agreements under. Um, you know, we talked about the Hollywood Casino. We talked about, um, you know, uh, Fire Station 35, Linden Rec Center. We use local agreements on those, but there are some, um, you know, that that that, uh, that maybe are large, uh, you know, even multinational companies that are doing work here, and that's where the general presidents step in, and, and there's some national agreements that we have the ability to use and, and stuff, and they work out pretty well. They do a good job. Good, good, good. Okay, Ohio State Fair, uh, doing some outreach there. I know you've done this in years past. How's that working for you? Oh, yeah. So the uh, Act Ohio and Kitty French uh, works with Joe Chalky and the Cement Masons. and We do an awesome three-day outreach event the first three days at the Ohio State Fair. It's always the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which somehow coincides with, like, the hottest days of the summer, too. But uh, I guess that's okay. But uh, we go down there. We have all our trades down there, you know, electricians, plumbers, pipe fitters. There's a lot of hands-on stuff. Some kids can pour some cement, finish cement. They can lay some brick. They can bend some conduit. They can look do some basic electrical stuff. Uh, you know, they hear from all the apprenticeship programs. They hear from Building Futures, which is cool. Um, you know, the lieutenant governor, John Husted, comes by. Obviously, he's lockstep with us on workforce development, especially as some of these huge projects in the state are uh, are taking off and underway and we're attracting more projects. Governor DeWine is always, you know, present there. And um, a lot of our managers, a lot of our agents, it's just a great opportunity uh, for a lot of folks who come into that front entrance of that huge 
you know, Ohio State Fair to walk by, come by the tent, just see what all that we're doing and the opportunities that we're providing for members of our community um, to get into the building trades. Good. Yeah, we need all we can get right now. All right, one more issue. How you feel about issue one? The uh, the uh, election day is uh, just right around the corner, and I guess the last day for early voting is going to be this Sunday. How, how do you feel about that issue, Dorsey? You know what? I feel really well, and uh, we had a huge rally at the IBW 683 last night. We had a ton of speakers. Former Governor Ted Strickland was there, obviously, who's representing four governors, two Democrats, two Republicans that are voting no and are steadfastly in support of no on issue one. Betty Montgomery kicked it off, was our leadoff speaker, and, you know, was talking about how obviously this isn't a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. This is a democracy issue, one person, one vote, and urging people to vote no. I got the opportunity to speak, um, you know, which was awesome. And, and, and one thing that gives me hope and one thing that uh, – there's several things that I'm positive about and hopeful, and I think that we're going to defeat this thing. As you know, I live in a rural county in central Ohio. I drive through some rural counties to check on job sites and stuff. And I said this last night in my speech. You know, I'll drive by some homes and stuff. And, you know, you see some of the rural areas in Ohio that are, you know, a little behind the times. You, you'll see a Confederate flag and a Trump flag. Then you see a no on issue one sign. And it's like I said, I'm taken back to my days of, of taking the ACT, you know. One thing is not like the other. So I think there's a lot of support from the other side for this no on issue one because people feel like their voice is being suppressed and their rights is being violated. So I feel good about it. I think we're doing a great job of getting people out to vote and vote early. I think the turnout is higher than the Republicans expected, which is, uh, you know, they're leery of. I thought it was interesting that earlier this week that Secretary of State Frank LaRose personally called out uh, Dolan and Bernie Marino who are his opponents in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate next year and told them to invest their own money uh, into the vote no on issue one campaign. And somebody said, well, what about your own money? And he's like, well, I'm not millionaires like them. They have it. They should invest in this or vote. Yes, I'm sorry. They, they should invest in voting yes on, on issue one, and uh, which they're obviously not going to do. But um, we'll see. We're at the finish line. We'll see what happens on Tuesday. It's going to be interesting. Just talk to your family. Talk to your friends educate them on the issues, make sure they get out there and they vote no. Because like I said last night, I think this is just the tip of the spear on uh, some of the things that maybe some of these far right people and supporters of Americans for Prosperity want to do. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll go for right to work next. They'll end collective mm-hmm. bargaining. Uh, they'll look at ending prevailing wages. You know, reproductive rights is just number 1A on the top of the list. They have a large laundry item list of things that they want to do uh, to kind of suppress organized labor. And it's like when I talk to Republicans or Democrats at the state house. Uh, when I talk to people in economic development, no matter what your political leanings are, we got a good thing going here in Central Ohio and Columbus and all of Ohio with all the workforce development, and the partnerships we've built. Let's not be passing crazy laws that are going to want people look at us like we're you know backwards and not want people and families to want to come here and show in and, and share in all the economic development that we're having. Sure. You know, you touched on something, and if you don't mind, uh, I want to I want you to pick up on this a little more. You you brought this up in a couple months ago in a conversation that I had with you. This is not just about reproductive rights. I mean, this will affect like bond issues in the state of Ohio. Can you explain that part to our listeners? Some of them that are on the fence on this issue. Can you can you do that for us? Absolutely. And I'll start off by saying this is, you know, uh, some friends of mine who are apolitical came to me and said, why would the Ohio Chamber and why would um, some of these business groups come out in favor of issue one? 
what what are what are they really you know why is abortion on their radar and i said it's not i said what's on their radar is this is we're looking at passing a constitutional amendment in the next year to raise the minimum wage because i don't think the minimum wage has been raised in ohio since 2009 obviously business they feel like this is going to affect them drive up prices obviously labor would be for it because we want people to have a fair share of the pie so that's why they've came out uh you know in support of issue one and that's why you know this is just the beginning but um you know, this isn't, you're right, it's not just about reproductive rights. There's bonding issues. There was the third frontier that was passed that would never pass. There's, you know, there's there's school board levies that would have to pass by a 60% now, which would be almost near impossible to pass. And that's really going to hurt construction. I think, uh, you know, Mike Nisley spoke last night after me, and I think he said in the last five years in the state of Ohio, there's been almost 1,100 school board issues that have passed in the state of Ohio, very few with 60% or more. Think about all those buildings, all those facilities, all those maintenance, um, you know, things that, that would not have happened if this was in place. So it's very important that we got to, you know, stand with democracy 50% plus one, and we've got to vote no on issue one next Tuesday. Yeah, and if you want to get some more information, I've been hitting this uh, website on the show, UnionStrongOhio, UnionStrongOhio.com. That's the website to go to. And the website for the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Well, real simple there. It's ColumbusConstruction.org. And you can follow them on Twitter at BuildCentralOH. Dorsey Hager, you take care. Keep up the fight. We'll talk to you next month and uh, unwind some of these issues, okay? That sounds good. We'll keep the ball rolling. And, uh, hey, last night, first night of the NFL season, preseason, Browns look pretty good. So uh, we'll be talking about the heart of the schedule the next time we speak in September. So have a good end of the summer, Flash. Great talking there, to you and catching up with you. There you go, brother. You take care. Dorsey Hager on our live line. Quick break. Fred Redman, first Friday with Fred, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW dot O-R-G. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more.
America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple, AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, if you like a show, share that show. It's important that we grow this show we call America's Workforce, which started 30 years ago. I've been so gracious to host it for the past 25 years. And uh, in the pandemic, this was in uh, June of 2020, we started podcasting. Six months ago, we were in the top 15% of all podcasts. Now we're in the top five. So we appreciate all of you listening. So if you like a show, share the show. And uh, you can find all of the shows archived on awfpodcast.com. All right, let's go to our live line and welcome Fred Redman to the show. We started this about almost two years ago when Fred was designated as the secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO, spent his entire life with the steelworkers. And it's our first Friday with Fred. First Friday of the month, Fred Redman. Fred! I understand. What you just got back from? Boy, they're working you. They are working you, brother. You just got <laughs> you just got back from what Puerto Rico? What what was going yeah. on down there? Yeah, well, thanks, Flash. It's always good to be with you. I was in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, with uh, the Labor Coalition for Latin American Advancement (LACLA). Uh, they're having their forty seventh national convention on the island of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and uh, it was just a thrill to be with them. Uh, for 47 years, Lacklass became the premier voice for uh, Latino communities and Latino workers throughout the country. And, uh, I mean, the voice, they have been the leading voice on immigration, on all issues pertaining to our uh, Latin American brothers and sisters. And uh, they had a day of community service where they went through the neighborhoods in San Juan, painted some murals, cleaned up some vacant lots and they're really doing good work and um they just at their conference they just formed a commission from of workers from different unions on the island and they're going to be holding community forums to really really frame a plan on how the labor movement can rather could better represent and organize workers on the island of puerto rico so it's an exciting conference that takes place uh that's taking place. I think the day is their last day, and um, I was happy to be able to spend some time with them. Well, I know you spent some time with uh, healthcare workers, with the, well, of course, the uh, Healthcare Workers Council. I want to uh-huh. touch on that. But first, but first, sure. I, I have to talk to you about Julie Sue, and I know the AFL CIO has uh, embarked on a campaign to uh, petition members of Congress to get her confirmed. I mean, she's the acting labor secretary, which kind of ties her up on some issues. And now, Fred, I was reading at the top of the show that uh, a couple of our not-so-friendly GOP members have introduced a bill to prevent her because Biden wants her to serve indefinitely since they does, he doesn't have the votes right now. But uh, they want to prevent her from serving indefinitely as Secretary of Labor. Fred, explain what's going on here. This is ridiculous. What's your take on it? It is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. You know, uh, Koresh, we we have always, uh, you know, had some uh, contentious, you know, hearings for members of the president's staff. And that's to be expected. But the position that they have taken, the Republicans, 
against Julie Sue is ridiculous. This is a woman who uh, worked her way up. She fought wage theft in the state of California when she worked for the Attorney General's office. Uh, she's very, very in tune with the uh, concerns of workers when it comes to health and safety on the job and issues pertaining to workers. And for that reason, uh, they have offered a vicious resistance towards Julie Sue. And, uh, you know, Biden uses executive powers until uh, she's called for a vote until, you know, to use his executive powers to retain her as the interim secretary of labor. And uh, look, I mean, Leader Schumer is counting the votes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, some of our um, Republican friends in the Senate is kowtowing to the business community who literally fear Julie Sue because of her position on fairness for workers in the workplace. And, uh, you know, we are not sure if we have the votes, you know, in order to get her confirmed from the Democrats. So, uh, you know, uh, she's been serving, doing a great job as the interim director. Uh, you know, we, we're trying to really have some serious discussions with the Democratic members of the Senate to make sure that we got enough votes to push her through. And until that time, uh, Biden has been using her, as every other president have done, as a candidate go through the confirmation process, appoint an interim person to run whatever department the vacancy is for. And uh, now the Republicans want to move the ball in the middle of the game because she's making an impact even as the interim. But we hope to get the votes. We hope to call her so, and we hope we can move forward with uh, Julie Sue as the head of the Department of Labor. Well, the two holdouts right now are Manchin and uh, Cinema. That's and correct. Ma- Manchin said no, he's he's not going to do it. But Cinema, we just can't figure out where she's going to go. But I, I I would assume that uh, the Labor Fed is working on Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, you no know, two moderates. And, we are, uh, we are, we're working real hard. And look, I mean, Julie Sue really, really, uh, you know, came down on the coal mining industry of West Virginia when they was putting workers' uh, uh, safety and health at risk. Uh, you know, some of the uh, situations in the coal mine was uh, atrocious when we go back a few years. And Julie Sue really, really uh, did everything that she could in order to to issue citations to make the mine working industry more safer in West Virginia. And I imagine, unfortunately, as listening to the mining owners, okay, uh, who was involved in that situation, and, um, you know, he's been very adamant about, you know, a no vote on Julie Sue, which is unfortunate. I think he's got some interests in the coal mining industry as well. So uh, no mm-hmm. surprise there. No surprise at yeah. all. And I sh- she got high marks, too. You know, the longshoremen, they were trying to negotiate a contract on the West Coast. And there was a uh-huh. work stoppage going on there. She came in there and uh, pretty much took control. And, and, right. and she got high marks for that as well. That's right. And look, I mean, you know, she's been a fair voice. I mean. You know, the uh, word from the Republicans is is that she works against uh, owners and corporations' uh, best interests, but that's not true. 
What she no. do is she enforce the regulations that's in place and make sure that everybody is playing by the rules, and uh, particularly on issues of safety and health and wage stuff. So, anyway, stay tuned. You know, we we, we hope to bring it to a vote soon. But uh, look, they've had they've there've been people who've been interim directors for years, and mm-hmm. uh, so you know this is a new move by the Republicans. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, and she would become the first Asian American woman to head the uh, Department right. of Labor. So uh, th- there's a lot of good things. She's she's wicked smart too. Wicked smart. That's right. Smarter That's right. smarter than a lot of the politicians over there in Washington. No doubt about that. Okay, Healthcare Workers Council. I saw your uh, your face on the Steelworkers page. I, there was a, yeah. a a conference going on just a couple of weeks ago. This was in Pittsburgh. This was the first ever Health uh, Care Workers Council. We should point out, a lot of people don't realize that the steelworkers represent over 50,000 health care workers in the country, and it's growing. Now, why don't you explain what this was all about? And and uh, I guess the theme was power to the people who care. And, and, and especially after the pandemic, I mean, health care workers, we need them. They need to be safe. They need to have good wages and good benefits. So this was pretty exciting, and I'm sure you were pretty happy to be part of it, right? Oh, I was more than happy to be part of it. It was uh, like coming home. Uh, actually, this is the first conference since 2017. And just for a little background, the Healthcare Workers uh, Com- Council started in uh, 2008, I was assigned by President Leo Gerard to uh, meet with the healthcare workers. And after meeting with them, the healthcare unions and our union, then uh, we decided to form a council. And it has grown since then. But as you stated, steel workers represent uh, over 50,000 healthcare workers throughout the United States. Um, and, you know, just an interesting backstory flash, real quick is that our first and largest group of healthcare workers came into the Steelworkers Union in 1953 when uh, Kaiser Permanente, Henry Kaiser, decided to expand his reach into the healthcare industry. We have a long history with Kaiser because of his aluminum interest and uh, with Kaiser Aluminum. And when he expanded into the healthcare industry and became self-insured, uh, then, you know, he turned to the steel workers and, and we went and organized our oldest healthcare, largest healthcare local, local 7600 in uh, Fontana, California, which is part of the Kaiser Permanente Coalition of Unions. And, um, you know, look, we was an industrial manufacturing union. We bagged off on, on organizing healthcare workers. And that coalition of Kaiser unions have expanded now to nine different unions. And our local 7,600 with 2,800 members is one of the largest. And then also during the merger of District 50 into the Steel Workers Union, uh, the mine workers merged their District 50, uh, which was a group of uh, healthcare workers and, and uh, copper miners in the Pacific Northwest. They merged into the Steelworkers Union. We picked up Allegheny Regional Healthcare Systems, which is a conglomerate of uh, six hospitals, 14 clinics in West Virginia, Virginia and Kentucky. And we've been growing every since. But anyway, I was so glad to be there. Uh, the issue before healthcare workers today 
flash of safe staffing ratios, uh, some of the stories that I've heard at the conference about the enormous amount of patients that uh, nurses are, are being asked to care for is just not good for, first of all, it's not good for the patients. It's not good for the workers and nurses are retiring and leaving the industry in record numbers because of the stress being put upon them. And uh, so the union decided to bring this conference uh, back together uh, and have this in-person conference. It was a huge uh, um, success and healthcare workers came from all over the United States. They had close to 500 workers in attendance. And uh, it was an amazing time with some very, very important people who do important work uh, for our country. Now, Fred, you pointed out this was the first conference in five years. Now, these do they normally go every other year, uh, every uh, every five years? How does it, I know the pandemic? Yeah, they usually kind of... go every three years. They usually come together for a live conference. Um, you know, they do uh, conference calls and Zoom meetings on a quarterly basis, and every three years they come together. Since 2017, with the breakout of you know after after you know, the uh, breakout of COVID, you know, uh, they had a conference in 2017. The next one was supposed to be in 2020, and they didn't have it. So this is the first one since the 2017 conference. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's led by a fantastic uh, executive director of our healthcare council, Tamara Lefkowitz. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a a pleasure for the steel workers. You know, people look at us as an industrial manufacturing union, but uh, this has been a pleasure and a challenge to represent this great group of workers. Those of you uh, listening, go to the Steelworkers website, usw.org. There's a really, and I mean a really good video that was posted following that uh, Healthcare Workers Council conference. First one in uh, five years. Good stuff there. And also, add your name. Get Julie Sue confirmed as Labor Secretary. Go to aflcio.org. Okay, my brother, you take care. Next uh, next time we'll be Thank talking you. to you is right before Labor Day. We're, so we're, we're planning a big show then. So you take care. Stay safe. Stay, uh, stay strong. Okay, brother? Okay. Thanks a lot, Flash. Take care. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the Texas AFL-CIO and the Teamsters. This would be Local 320 in Minnesota. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.